What's up, New York? You're listening to the Empire State Conservative Network Podcast. Hey guys, this next segment is brought to you by the Blackhawk Group. Blackhawk Group offers an unparalleled customer support service combined with top-level classroom installations and equipment servicing. They have years' worth of experience in this field, experience that is unmatched by competitors anywhere. Learn more about Blackhawk Group at www.blackhawkgroupllc.net. Hey everybody, welcome to the Empire Secret Serve Network podcast. I'm Pete, this is Evan, and we have a special guest on today's show. Before we get into him and what he's all about and why we have him on, uh, we just want to tell you a little bit about the show. So if you're new to the show, welcome. The Empire State Conservative Network podcast is for New York-based conservatives who are sick and tired of being neglected by their local and state politicians. And you're also sick and tired of being ostracized by friends, family, and coworkers for thinking differently than they do about politics, about life in general. And today we have a special guest to that point, especially that first point we have on Steve Filano. He is the founder of 2AWNY, correct me if I got that wrong, but uh, it's, it's an organization that I believe, quote, is to destroy New York gun control. So Steve, how are you doing today? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So, you know, get, for people who don't know who you are, obviously your, your sole mission with 2AWNY, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, is you want to destroy New York gun control. It's all over the site. That's exactly what you plan to do. So could you tell us a little bit about uh, what caused you to start it and, uh, you know, just take us off from there? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, what spurred me to start the organization was, um, you know, one, seeing uh, how much damage is being done to Second Amendment civil rights in New York State from a legislative standpoint this year, uh, but also seeing um, the tremendous opportunities that exist to work through the court system, state and federal, to restore Second Amendment civil rights um, and do that, uh, you know, through legal challenges that were progressing through the Second Circuit of the Court of Appeals, the U.S. Court of Appeals, New York State Supreme Court, and then also foster this culture of non-enforcement and non-compliance, not only in Western New York, but across the state uh, as a whole. And then as a corollary to that, um, my focus has been primarily on, uh, you know, bringing more organization um, to Second Amendment groups in Western New York and across the state. I think one of the areas where we failed as a movement is, um, you know, not working uh, as a collective organized group and, and, you know, having these these disparate meetings and echo chambers and VFWs and, and meeting halls across the state that aren't interconnected. And then also making, you know, more intellectual uh, and compelling arguments in support of 2A civil rights. And those arguments exist out there but very rarely are they made. So um, that's, that's sort of why I, I started the organization. Uh, we've got two court cases progressing right now. One is uh, called the Libertarian Party of Erie County uh, versus Cuomo. And that got argued in the U.S. Court of Appeals Second Circuit on March 20th of this year. And that seeks to overturn the state pistol permitting system on constitutional grounds. And then the other case that uh, we've been progressing is um, a challenge to the people of the state of New York versus Benjamin Wassel. Uh, for those who don't know, and he was the first person charged back in 2013, shortly after the law was passed. And we are uh, working to overturn that conviction on constitutional grounds and a range of other issues, too, tied to that trial. So um, those are actually uh, the, the oral argument section went pretty well in both courts. And uh, some folks out there may be aware of a case pending in the Supreme Court, which is called uh, NYSERPA, New York State Rifle Pistol Association versus New York City. And, uh, you know, within the context of that case, the court is probably going to take up the issue of the intermediate scrutiny standard, which allows uh, all these unconstitutional gun control laws to stand. 
and more than likely the Supreme Court's going to roll that back or overturn it in favor of strict scrutiny, which we will then take that new standard and use that to overturn the pistol permitting system and the SAFE Act, red flag law, you name it. You know, when you read the New York State Attorney General's briefs on why these laws are constitutional, they copiously cite this intermediate scrutiny standard. So um, when that gets rolled back or, or gets totally pulled away from them as a core argument, uh, the ability to roll back a lot of these laws, you know, magazine capacity bans, et cetera, that are unusual uh, when you take a look at the, the landscape of the U.S. as a whole, we'll be able to start rolling these things back. So that, that's a big focus of ours as well. Awesome. So you, you also, are you working in conjunction, I know, with a couple of those cases? And that's how we found you, actually. Um, it was a Jim Musnowski, um, the lawyer who was handling two of those cases, the first two that you mentioned. Are you working in tandem with him, or are you just highlighting him because he's taking on two pretty major cases um, in relation to the state and its gun control laws? Right. Yeah. Jim Ostrowski is a libertarian attorney based here in Buffalo, New York. Uh, I connected with him earlier in the year uh, to publicize the cases, get the word out, raise funds for him to be able to to push these actions forward. And I actually, for, for the Second Circuit case involving the pistol permit system, um, I drove him down to New York City. We got in the car at 8 p.m. the night before, drove all night to get to court, um, you know, completed the oral argument, did a couple of interviews via Skype uh, with various news outlets, and then drove back. So he and I are working pretty close together um, and, and, you know, working to, to basically get the word out about the cases and, and make the arguments that need to be made about, you know, what he's doing. Okay, cool. Um, so, so you mentioned that you started this. How, how long ago did you start to AWNY? Uh, probably uh, it was early January, sometime in that time frame of this year. Okay. Um, started with an effort to get on the record the district attorneys in New York State. There were 17 that operate in the Western District. And it kind of started as an initial project um, stemming from the Erie County District Attorney out here. Uh, in, in Buffalo, uh, there were two uh, Buffalo police officers that arrested a group of, of guys driving in downtown Buffalo for a range of issues. I, I think it had to do with driving while ability impaired, driving while intoxicated, things like that. Come to find out one of the guys in the vehicle was a permit holder and had 10 rounds loaded in his magazine and had some other spare mags around with 10 rounds loaded in there. And uh, this individual was charged under the SAFE Act seven round magazine uh, capacity ban. And I actually wrote into the, uh, the Buffalo News reporter who reported on this and said, hey, you know, you, you may want to look into this further because there's more to this story. Um, you know, uh, core among that issue is it, the fact that two courts, the Second Circuit and um, another lower court in the Western District ruled the seven round capacity limit on constitutional. Therefore, you know, no police force, you know, at least in the Western District, but, but really across the state is supposed to be enforcing this. So he pushed back on John Flynn, our district attorney, about that. Uh, D.A. Flynn, I think, uh, got increased from a range of other people, too, not just me. And he went on uh, one of our local TV stations, WGRZ, which is the NBC affiliate here, and said, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to prosecute this person anymore. I've got 23 cases pending regarding this issue that I'm going to dismiss totally, and we won't prosecute this issue going forward. So I found that interesting. And the other thing I found interesting is his in his justification for this, he, he said, you know, hey, I'm a state entity, so I actually don't have to follow these court decisions, but I'm, I'm going to choose to follow them anyway, which I think is incorrect. So um, I think that the Second Circuit decision is binding, you know, all across New York State. It's a federal circuit decision. So I wondered how many other district attorneys in Western New York are operating under the same potentially faulty logic and have cases pending, you know, active cases that um, expressly 
violate the Second Amendment civil rights of Western New Yorkers. So I started this effort to reach out to all 17, well, at this point, 16 remaining district attorneys and ask them directly, you know, are you aware of these court decisions? Are you prosecuting the Safe X7 round limit? Will you continue to do that? And all of them came back within two months and unanimously said no. So it started with this effort to show people that, hey, all of Western New York is a seven round limit non-enforcement zone. We don't enforce that portion of the SAFE Act here because it's unconstitutional. That opens the door. Uh, I think it, it you know, makes a compelling case to open the door and look at the remainder of the SAFE Act, which is on the whole unconstitutional. So it kind of started there and then uh, you know, mushroomed into uh, you know, uh, pushing Jim's cases, pushing funding for those cases, because I think they make a lot of very uh, specific and needed arguments, especially against the backdrop of what Kirsten Gillibrand has been saying regarding uh, gun control efforts. You know, we saw this shooting in New Zealand, unfortunately, um, over the past several days, that's going to reignite the gun debate. Um, and also what we've heard the New York State Attorney General say in court regarding the Second Amendment, I think Jim makes uh, a very compelling core argument that you just don't hear the NRA and others make when, when they're in front of court judges. Hmm. So, so why, why do you suppose that is? So you mentioned earlier that there's just a lot of disjointment um, in terms of organization to try it and fight against things like the SAFE Act and some of the newer gun laws that have been introduced in New York and, and even around the country. So why, why is it so disjointed? Is it just, you know, there are just a million different organizations that handle this? Or, um, you know, what, what do you think we can do? I mean, obviously you have an organization, but what, what do you think people can do to try and come together and fight against this? Because obviously you're doing a great job with it in just a short period of time. Uh, so what are some pointers you can give to some folks about getting organized and, and fighting back against this in, in their part of New York? Yeah, one of, one of the issues that I've identified with uh, gun rights organizations in, in New York in general is, um, you know, one, one, we don't tend to have a very cohesive strategy, and two, um, we tend to have uh, very much a followership mentality. So, you know, one of the, the limits I placed upon myself with starting this organization was it's in the name. It's obviously limited to Western New York, and that's because I'd rather have a decentralized command type and where we don't have people sitting around saying, oh my God, you know, uh, the Democrats in, in Albany rolled back Second Amendment rights again. Someone should do something about this. Well, I prefer people to say, I'm going to do something about this and, you know, figure out based on the overarching goals that we're trying to, to achieve here, which are, you know, uh, preserve the gun culture we have now and, and defend and expand that by rolling back these, these imperial gun control edicts coming out of Albany. The way that you do that is going to, is going to, you know, be different based on where you're based, like what region are you operating out of? So I've sort of identified what, what is relevant and what's effective in Western New York. I've seen some other folks start to come forward and carry this work forward in contacting district attorneys in central New York. So I'd like to see a 2A CNY, you know, a, a 2A ENY for Eastern New York, 2A NNY for Northern New York, you know, all, all, all those regions that we have are very distinct and different. The way that you get to the, the, you know, the stated ends of uh, the two-way effort in New York State is going to vary based upon region. So I think that's one piece is let's have leaders in every region step forward, think strategically about how we achieve these things in the region, and share what they've learned, share their successes, and everyone can, can sort of build off that. Then the other piece, I think, is the strategy piece where you can put wins on the board, right? Like, in the era of Trump, everyone wants to see, you know, my, my team won, you know, red team won or blue team won. Like we, we need to have metrics tied to this thing, right? So um, that's how the, the Safe Act non-enforcement zone with the seven round limit thing was sort of born was 
uh, every time I, I added a new district attorney or several over the course of a couple of days, I would put that out on social media and via press releases. And people started to really respond to that very quickly early on. It's, it's a scoreboard, basically. It shows that we're making progress. Um, you know, so, so doing that, uh, you know, fighting these things in the courts, um, you know, passing laws and resolutions at the county level that limit Safe Act enforcement based on things like the non-commandeering principle, which is a piece of federal law that's been, been upheld through several Supreme Court cases, you know, taking that and applying that at the, the local level against the state, just looking at these innovative ways of pushing back on this, I think are things we need to do. And um, in general, you know, what the, the Second Amendment civil rights movement has done in Western New York and across the state is kind of just, you know, hold rallies really for the most part. That, that sort of, you know, serves our emotional needs of venting, uh, but really doesn't do anything significant to roll uh, these gun control edicts back. I mean, we had a huge rally when the SAFE Act was passed uh, in, in opposition to it. Six years later, we still have it. We're still here. So I think, you know, we got to take a smarter approach to this whole thing. And everyone has to, you know, kind of have their thinking cap on and look at themselves as a leader in this movement, uh, not so much a follower waiting for the NRA and affiliated organizations to come in and save the day, because obviously they're not going to do that. No, definitely. And um, I actually spoke to Peter, what was it, probably about late December, about trying to get involved with some, whoever is going to be going after the SAFE Act, because a lot of people that I talk to and a lot of people, you know, in the conservative community, on our Facebook page, people I meet around here, they look at the SAFE Act as this like edict from, a, from you know, King Cuomo that is just, now it's here, now we have to deal with it. And they forget that it's a piece of legislation and legislation can be taken away. It can be overturned. It can be repealed. It can be declared unconstitutional. And that's exactly what you guys are doing. You're going after it exactly where you need to go after it. And we did speak to Larry Sharp, who said the same thing, where non-enforcement is huge. Because if you get people to not enforce it and there's no spike in gun crime, then they can't go, well, we need this for public safety. Because now that they're not enforcing it, there's no increase in crime. There's no need for it for public safety. And then that whole, that portion of the fact that, you know, this is a public safety thing can be thrown out and you can kind of chop it up bit by bit and eventually get it out there. But you're right. It's someone needs to take charge. And I'm glad that you guys are doing this. I'm glad that you're going after it in court and that you found people who are willing to stand up for our constitutional rights because too many people look at this as, you know, this is, it's not, a, it's not a rights issue. It's, and people look at places like the NRA and they're like, this isn't, it's not about your civil liberties. And it is. Because the right of the people to keep and bear arms is second on the list in the Bill of Rights. And it's second for a reason. It's very important. And people have kind of become lackadaisical because there, is, there hasn't been a real challenge to our freedom, an outright challenge. It's been all these little laws and these little things where we slowly give up our freedoms because the government says they're going to keep us safe. And it doesn't. And you look at places like New Zealand and Australia and where they've given up guns and they have higher rates of violent crime in London where people are getting stabbed in the streets where they now have knife control and they're getting ready to call in the military to handle knife control and knife and knifings in the street. And there's someone comes across with, a, with guns and kills a bunch of people in a mosque and people are like, Oh, more gun control. See, it's like, no, they already have their gun control. The gun control doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so we really do it for the average person to be safe. We have to get rid of the safe act. Yeah. You broke up a little bit there towards the close. So I'm not sure if I got a question back on that. Um, could you just repeat sort of what you wrapped up with there? No, no question. It was more just, you know, in order to be safe, we have to get rid of the SAFE Act. It's not something that is 
is effective in doing anything and it's all it's doing is limiting our civil liberties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. And I I can kind of give you some examples of that and the argument that I make and that Jim Ostrowski makes. And and quite frankly, that that we made in court against the New York State Attorney General when uh, we were arguing uh, to overturn Ben Wassel's conviction um, in New York State Supreme Court. So one of the the things I tend to throw out there is the fact that um, these gun control edicts, the SAFE Act chief among them, is, it's not based on causative data. Like th- there's, no, there's no data set out there that tells me conclusively that, you know, the SAFE Act has been around for six years. And at the same time, we haven't had, uh, you know, a mass shooting on the scale of what we saw in New Zealand these past couple of days. And that the SAFE Act caused that. There's, there's just no way to prove it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, 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 you know, Emperor Cuomo gets on and, and talks about, he, has, he takes the victory lap before he passes the package of gun control bills earlier this year and says, hey, the SAFE Act's been around for six years. It's worked. Well, the fact of the matter is you have no causative data to show that. It's all correlative. It's like me saying, well, you know, the sky was blue for an extended period. And over that time period, the grass grew two inches. It, that's not causative, though. That's all correlative. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it kind of takes the wind out of the sails of gun control advocates when, when you go down that road because, They'll push back and say, well, you know, we, we can't produce any causative data. Well, the fact of the matter is you can. And they start to take you down this circuitous route of, well, we'd have to segment out areas of the state and deny their ability to have assault weapons as we define them or these high capacity magazines as we define them and have other parts of the state that don't have them and compare them and have them be similar in scope. Well, the fact of the matter is you're already doing a piece of that. You're already uh, denying folks their constitutional right to these firearms that are in common use. And quite frankly, you already have uh, localities like the majority of Western New York, where we still do have 30 round mags, where people are still still have them in their home, still take them to the range. The, and the county sheriff in Erie County and other other law enforcement officials are it happens in full view of them. And they just quite frankly, don't care. So, you, you know, the fact of the matter is you could run a study like this, but they choose not to, because obviously the results in most cases are going to show that these laws are ineffective, which leads me to my second point which is that these things are really, uh, you know, these gun control edicts are a form of emotional therapy for progressives. That's what they are. Um, It allows the progressive to have this adult security blankie and feel warm and tight at night when they go to sleep and say, I did something. They can be like Ralph from The Simpsons and say, I'm helping. Um, (laughs) You know, that's really what this is all about. And when when you engage a progressive in a, a reasoned debate about these laws, uh, they get very upset because you're basically talking to a wall there. You know, there, there's no reason behind it. You know, a progressive can have an IQ of like 160, but at the end of the day, they have like this mental fog over them, you know, involving this myth that that government force via these these laws that aren't based in fact or any real data are, are the answer when really it's just all about, you know, a mass shooting like this one in New Zealand happens. And what we have to do is immediately talk about gun control legislation. And then that leads me into my third point, which is, there's never any weight given to the destructive tendencies that the ideology of progressivism has on society as a whole. They never want to talk about the degradation that this type of ideology has and, you know, rolling back core institutions that result in folks, you know, like this, the shooter in New Zealand and others stateside who think that the answer to their problems is, uh, you know, take a weapon and go kill a bunch of unarmed civilians and, and say, hey, you know, th- this is my answer to my issues in life. So, uh, they don't want to engage in, in in that part of the conversation either, but those are our core elements to you know the issue of the you know the mass killer phenomenon that we see, um, you know gun violence in general as they want to define that. It's those those three core pieces 
And, and you just don't get a rebuttal to that. So those are our two, three big issues. Then the other big argument that we make in court, both in the Second Circuit against the pistol permit law and then in state Supreme Court regarding the SAFE Act, is the fact that um, the state and gun control advocates get the, um, the core purpose of the Second Amendment wrong. Um, and you saw this, if you guys heard about this, that, that case that came out of the Connecticut Supreme Court regarding uh, the ability of um, the, the individuals who had folks die in, in the Sandy Hook massacre, mm -hmm. their ability to sue um, arms manufacturers like the one who developed the Bushmaster rifle involved in that. One, one clarification there, the court actually didn't find standing for uh, the plaintiffs to sue rifle manufacturers or gun manufacturers just for people who buy the gun and then, and then misuse it, right? Mm -hmm. so, so commit crimes with it. They, they didn't get standing for that. What happened in that case was the court granted standing for this very, it's really an intellectual stretch, I think. Um, they, they say that there may have been some deceptive marketing practices here, um, you know, or, or some way of, of basically saying that because this, this firearm is used by Navy SEALs and, you know, basically this quote they took from a marketing piece that said, like, all your adversaries bow down, that that somehow influenced Adam Lanza to carry out this mass shooting. So there's a big stretch there. They're giving them the opportunity to make the argument in court. I don't think it's really going to go anywhere, especially if it gets appealed. Um, but that's sort of the argument that they're making. But um, the argument that the state makes, and that's made in this Connecticut court case, too, is that, um, you know, these firearms manufacturers are negligent because uh, this is a weapon of war, and it serves no legitimate civilian purpose for, for self-defense or for hunting. Now, those are, are, you know, periphery purposes, peripheral purposes of the Second Amendment. The core purpose of the Second Amendment, and this is in both of our court briefs and our oral arguments with our, with our cases, is that um, the Second Amendment exists as a check against tyrannical government. Mm -hmm. That's the core purpose of the Second Amendment. On the periphery is self-defense and then hunting. And when you make the argument about tyrannical government and, and the Second Amendment being a check against that, especially in a courtroom setting, it just gets ignored because there's no real compelling argument that the government can make to rebut that. Mm -hmm. And we saw that in both courts, quite frankly, where the New York State Attorney General, the Assistant Attorney General, and their representatives stood up and just they just don't even respond to that. Same thing in this Connecticut case, they just don't even touch that argument. We really need to be focusing on making that, uh, you know, a loud and, and core element of the argument against gun control to be able to get beyond these new efforts uh, in light of what's probably going to come out of this New York City and NYSERPA case, rolling back intermediate scrutiny. The New York State Attorney General tried to get the state Supreme Court to say that AR-15s are unusual weapons of war that are not protected by the Second Amendment. So you're going to see, I think, uh, it's sort of a clue into how the state's going to handle this likely rollback of the intermediate scrutiny standard that lets all these un unconstitutional gun control edicts stand. They're going to try and dance around that by saying, well, be that as it may, we want the court to find that certain weapons are not covered by the Second Amendment because they don't serve this purpose of self-defense or hunting as we define it. And they're going to totally ignore that tyrannical government argument, which obviously requires weapons that have offensive warfare-like capabilities to obviously throw off a gun control mission by the state. That's how they're going to get around these things. So um, some really interesting stuff coming out of these arguments that we make in court, you know, it kind of gives you an idea of how the state might respond and really, you know, what they think about what the core purpose of the Second Amendment is. So I think uh, that's, that's really important for 2A civil rights supporters to keep in mind is, you know, we got to make that argument loud and clear about what the Second Amendment is and what it means. Um, and then also start thinking about, you know, how do we rebut this argument that, 
um, certain weapons are in a different class unto themselves and shouldn't be covered by the Second Amendment you know, as we move forward and, and we rebut these arguments by the state. Yeah, and you're 100% right. And this is the biggest issue I have with the anti-gunners, the gun grabbers, is that they don't, they don't understand the purpose of the Second Amendment. And if you look at places throughout history, and I think I've said this at least 45 times on this Pretty podcast. Pretty much every episode. Probably at episode 61, I think I've said this at least 45 times, that if you look throughout history, whenever the people are disarmed, people die. Nazi Germany, communist China, Stalinist Russia, communist Cuba, Venezuela, France right now, these places are, it leaves the people open to being taken over by the government and then people die and they don't get it. It's not about hunting. It's not about going to the range. It, you hit it 100% on the head. It is about, it is a check against tyrannical government. And all these people go, well, I don't trust the government. I don't trust the government. Yet you vote for big government and mm -hmm. you get rid of your right to protect yourself against the government. And you think that marching in the street is going to save you. When just look at Tiananmen Square when the student was ran over by a tank and he'd only had to stand in front of that tank because he didn't have the ability to fire back. And they really missed the point. And the big part that I preach all the time is educating people who don't know what they're talking about. But a lot, like you said, a lot of people are just going to ignore it because they can't rebut it. You cannot rebut that part of the Second Amendment. If you say that it's to prevent tyrannical government, what can they say? They can't say anything because throughout history, it is proven that when the people are disarmed and the government goes unchecked by the people, people die. Yeah, two, two things on that. One is, you know, when you talk to a progressive about uh, constitutional rights being uh, trampled upon and, and you talk about tyrannical government, one of the things that, that they have an issue wrapping their head around is, you know, what constitutional rights mean to them. Because to, to the average left-leaning progressive, as long as they've got their Netflix and they've got their iPhone and they've got their Amazon Alexa, if you don't take away their convenience, basically, because that's what progressivism is all about. It's about convenience and, and consolidating that convenience. That's why when, when something scary happens, like a, a mass murder or a mass shooting, the first thing they reach for is gun control because it's the easiest thing to do to make them feel safe rather than hitting, you know, addressing the societal problems tied to progressivism to make them happen in the first place. But for them, it's all about conveniences. So they view their rights in, in the context of my life is convenient. And as long as life continues to be convenient, even if that convenience is provided by a tyrannical government, to them, their rights are still intact. So that's one thing to understand right there. And for people who actually understand liberty and the Constitution and, and what it's all about, th those things are way off to the periphery. And, and you, know, they, you know, people like, like myself and you guys understand what core rights are about. And, and the folks who are going to push back and say gun control is the answer, just they don't have the same conce conception of what rights actually mean and what they are as per the Constitution. Um, you know, so that's one thing to understand right there. And then I think uh, going into, you know, some other elements regarding government tyranny, there's a data-driven argument to be made there. And, and you mentioned it right there involving Venezuela. We actually make that argument in our brief to the court uh, involving the pistol permitting case. Um, and I, actually, we brought it up in, in the state Supreme Court case regarding the SAFE Act as well. It's a lot of, a lot of similarities involving the population makeup, um, you know, demographic-wise, and, and the demographic changes here in the U.S. That, that tie Venezuela and ourselves together. We're in the same hemisphere. Uh, they had a democracy. We have a democracy. There's, you know, started to fray and then eventually fell apart under the weight of socialism. We have a lot of proposals that are going in that direction, favoring socialism, leftism, reducing the voting age, which obviously will result in more socialist left-leaning policies. Um, candidates out there who are trumpeting, uh, you know, socialist um, uh, elixirs for all of our ills 
all these things are sort of marching in the same direction of Venezuela, and we've seen the results of that. We identify in our briefs upwards of 20 uh, regimes that were initially democracies that eventually fell apart under mob rule and resulted in millions upon millions uh, killed uh, in the wake of gun control missions. There's just, um, you know, a, a bottomless pit of evidence to show that the government tyranny argument uh, is, is a legitimate one and is actually backed by more causative data than any of these gun control laws. Um, but the progressives just want to shrug that off and ignore it. And, you know, as we see these, these cases move through the Supreme Court, the NYSERP of the NYC case, and then the, you know, the weapon that provides in terms of rolling back intermediate scrutiny in the cases we have progressing at the federal level and at the state level, I think it's going to become increasingly more difficult for uh, the New York State Attorney General and other progressives across the U.S. to just shy away from that government tyranny argument because it is the most potent rebuttal to well, the Second Amendment doesn't cover these quote-unquote weapons of war like the AR-15. Well, it clearly does, because if the core purpose of the Second Amendment is a check against government tyranny, we need small arms that at least are in near parity to uh, what the military might use or those individuals who would remain uh, loyal to the military in the event of some type of civil war or some issue where uh, it would it would you know foment overt government tyranny. So those, those are important things to keep in mind, too, I think, as we, as we look at this. This next segment is brought to you by Items for All Occasions. Items for All Occasions specializes in helping you sync up with what you need for your event's promotional needs. Whether it's announcements, cards, giveaways, invitations, tchotchkes, or video books, they have you covered. Learn more about Items for All Occasions at www.itemsforalloccasions.com. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, really quick, because I know we're running up against the clock, but uh, every, all of us involved in this, uh, we have a mailbag. So for our donors real quick, they get to sending questions whenever we have a guest on or every Friday, if Evan and I do a show, we don't have a guest on that date. So since we have a guest today, we got a question from Mike in the mailbag. And he asked if you had any comments about uh, about Kirsten Gillibrand specifically, and not just how she flip-flopped, I kind of alluded to that earlier, but also just how to deal with people like her, because it, it's clear that she's a liar. She's been caught on tape numerous times, not just about gun control, but on, on a lot of things. So what would you propose, you know, and this kind of dates back to some of our other questions, what would you propose we do to really try and exploit that and push that out? Obviously not just to ruin her candidacy for president, which is going nowhere, or her, you know, Senate bid here in the state, but just in general, how, how do we exploit people like that? I, th I think I actually lost your audio, guys. Uh, for for those who are who are listening and watching, uh, we had to connect by phone just because we had some audio issues. But I think the call dropped. I'm just going to dial you guys back real quick. Can you, can you hear us? Sorry about that. I got, I got you now. Sorry about All that. Right, yeah, the call dropped. All right, I, so, I, got, I got some of what you said, but if you just want to wrap up with the question you were asking there, I'll respond. Yeah, so, so yeah, so long story short, uh, with Kirsten Gillibrand, how do we expose politicians like that who clearly, obviously, just doing it for political gain? I believe. I don't yeah. think she actually believes half the crap she's spouting, but how would you propose, since obviously this is, this is your whole spiel here, how would you propose we go about um, discrediting her and any other politician who steps up to the plate like she has? Yeah, Kirsten Gillibrand's a super interesting case for me because um, I'm actually from Saratoga Springs originally, and she was my congresswoman when I lived there. Mm. Um, I, I lived, I, you know, born and raised in New York State, but I lived in Saratoga Springs for about 29, 30 years before I moved out to Buffalo. And I can tell you, um, also having worked for a radio news station and inter interviewing her previously, um, her positions have done a complete 180. And it just kind of shows you that um, she makes this excuse about her, her opinions evolving. 
but really it's just about political pandering because you're absolutely right. Um, she was what's called a blue dog Democrat who had an A rating for the NRA when she represented uh, portions of Saratoga County and others. And now that she's running for president in the environment that we see ourselves in and the, the constant tug to the left in, in the era of Trump, um, it's just not politically fashionable to be uh, a Second Amendment civil rights advocate. So I guess one of the, the best ways to rebut her is there's all kinds of recordings online of statements she made, previous press releases, all the, all the prior positions that she had, which were very pro-gun. Um, I think we, we dig those up and we get those out there and force her to respond to them. I think the, the trope you're going to get as a reply is, oh, I've evolved on this issue. But um, I think it's going to be difficult for her to tread water on that issue when you look at what other candidates in the field have been saying about gun rights or really against them. It kind of shows that she is a flip-flopper in a lot of ways, and hopefully that pulls support away from her, from her, her Democratic base, you know, to the extent that exists today. Um, I think that's one of the ways you do that. And then, of course, keep making the argument about what the core purpose of the Second Amendment is, because she has also jumped onto this bandwagon of saying, oh, you know, the Second Amendment is about hunting and self-defense. And, you know, these weapons that we're seeking to ban and restrict don't, you know, don't fall into that category. Well, you know, we'll remind you, Ms. Gillibrand, the core purpose of the Second Amendment is a check against tyrannical government like the kind propagated by yourself. Um, so in that context, uh, you know, these weapons have a very pressing use for civilians now and into the future. All right. That's awesome. So uh, where can people find out more about you, Steve, and 2AWNY, and how can they get involved? Yeah, yeah. So go to our website. It's the numeral 2A as in alpha, uh, WNY, like westernnewyork.com. Uh, we've got a, a bunch of information up there, updates about the cases we're progressing. There's actually, in our news section, a pretty lengthy breakdown, including uh, court case audio and video uh, of the oral arguments made in court and, and the state's reply to those. Uh, at this point, the, the Ben Wassel case against the SAFE Act, um, that should be decided. Let's see, today is the 19th. We're expecting a decision on that this Friday, the 22nd, um, assuming that they don't have any additional discovery to run down or documents to request. Um, we, should get, we should get something on that coming up on Friday. The, one, the case in the Second Circuit, maybe it makes sense to kind of go into what our predictions are regarding the outcome here based on what we heard in court. On the Ben Wassel case, one of the issues we uncovered was it looks like the state attorney general who jumped in to, to prosecute this case actually didn't have the authority to do so. Um, because this was a case that occurred in a Western New York County, what normally happens is the district attorney in that county handles the case. For whatever reason, I think for political reasons, the state attorney general stepped in and said, I'd like to prosecute this. Or, you know, their argument is, well, the, the district attorney and the state police superintendent wanted me to do that. So in order for, for a state entity to prosecute a local case, they need some type of formalized letter from the, the, you know, the state police superintendent requesting that, um, and that is not a, anywhere in the court record. So when we got into court made that argument, um, the, the five justice panel said, hey, it looks like you've got a winner there. That looks like a winning argument. And they really pressed the state attorney general, the assistant AG, in the courtroom saying, hey, you have a problem here. That's a specific statement made to him saying, you know, we really don't care if you have a letter somewhere and it's notarized. It's not in the court record. It's not before us. We have to judge this based on the record. Looks to us like you had no authority to prosecute this in the first place. There are some positives and negatives to that if that's what happens, and it probably will. One is, obviously, the case gets dismissed. It's very good for Ben. You know, we want this to be off Ben's back. It, it, this involves, like, three felonies against his record for owning a firearm that was legal one day before and then suddenly not the next. Um, and the manner in which he was arrested and, and, you know, threatened by law enforcement and then 
you know, was subsequently, um, uh, you know, tried in court. There's just a lot of legal issues tied to that uh, and, and how that moved forward. So it'd be good to get that off his back. It's obviously a win. It's a knock against the SAFE Act to get that overturned, the first ever conviction. But what it allows the court to do, and this is another reason that I think they're going to just dismiss the case, is they get to just sidestep all the compelling arguments we make about the Second Amendment. They don't have to touch that issue of getting into what does the Second Amendment really mean and be on record about going through that, that you know, mental process, the, the significant research effort it involves, and, and the public outcry. I mean, it, it's controversial. They can just throw all that out and not even have to touch it if they just dismiss the case. So it looks like they're probably going to do that. So there's a win there, and then there's also a bit of a loss, and that we don't get to force them to say on the record, what does the Second Amendment really mean? Is, is intermediate scrutiny the correct standard? So that's one. The other case, the pistol permit case that we have in, in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, and for reference, that's one level below the Supreme Court. So we could, after this case is done, if we don't like the result, we could petition the Supreme Court to hear it. Um, that's an instance where we think that the Second Circuit will wait until 2020 and see what the Supreme Court rules regarding that NYSERPA case so they can take whatever standard is upheld there or whatever new standard is installed and then use that to decide their case. Because what we think they don't want to do is basically decide one way or the other, like if they uphold intermediate scrutiny, which basically the argument for intermediate scrutiny for folks unaware is uh, the state is saying, hey, we have an interest in public safety. And because of that, we can basically do this in burdening Second Amendment rights. And when I say this, you know, SAFE Act, red flag law, all these very significant burdens that really hold back Second Amendment exercise. And a strict scrutiny standard says, if, if the government has a compelling interest in public safety or some other significant government function that's legitimate, they can burden, and they can burden a constitutional right, but it's gotta be you know, constructed very narrowly and do the least amount of harm possible. The state has never you know, rationalized or made the argument, we're doing things in the least harmful way possible. They just say, we're doing it because we feel like this is the best thing to do. And because we want to protect the public, we're just going to go ahead and do it that way. So that, that's what intermediate scrutiny is all about. So we did hear uh, the justices in the Second Circuit really push back against um, the representative for the state attorney general arguing against Jim in a, in a couple of different contexts. One is her argument was, this is an easy case to decide. Uh, the individual who has standing in our case does have multiple misdemeanors because he's a father's rights advocate. So he's protested in family court multiple times about how he's been treated throughout the process and how fathers are treated in general. As a result, he has multiple misdemeanors that have stacked up. And so the AG was saying, this guy's not law-abiding. Um, the previous Supreme Court cases that say what the Second Amendment means covers law-abiding citizens. So therefore, we, we say this should all be thrown out. And the court, interestingly enough, and I think to the AG's surprise, the state's surprise, said, well, these Supreme Court cases speak in terms of felonies. This guy's not a felon, wasn't convicted of any felonies. So basically for the purposes of that test, who's a law-abiding citizen per the Supreme Court? This guy's a law-abiding citizen. May have not treaded a straight and narrow path. He's had some civil disobedience issues, but he's a law-abiding citizen from the perspective of these Supreme Court decisions. So she was kind of taken aback by that. Um, and then, you know, she was trying to deconstruct some other elements of the tests that are laid out in the pistol permitting system, the, mo the majority of which are arbitrary. And I kind of had the benefit of, of getting my permit in Saratoga Springs and then moving to Erie County and, and seeing the difference in how the permit system is applied. When I got it in Saratoga County, it was issued with restrictions, meaning you can't carry concealed. And I was unsuccessful in getting those removed for literally a decade. And it took moving to Western New York 
and having Judge Bowler out here say, I believe in concealed carry, and you've been through significant training, um, you have qualifications to prove that, but actually you've shown that in some instances you outperform what a law enforcement scores on their qual in a similar condition, I'm going to grant you your CCW. And you'll never have that happen in Saratoga County because the judges there simply just don't, don't believe in it. So it shows the arbitrary inconsistencies with which the system is applied. So, you know, the, the state AG's representative is trying to say there's a legitimate purpose to that. It should be easy to dismiss this case. And then obviously Jim's argument on the other side is, well, we're saying the whole pistol permitting system is unconstitutional. The whole scheme um, limits constitutional exercise. And that's what the judge said back to her is, you know, hey, you're saying it should be easy to prosecute this guy or, or withhold his permit under the existing scheme. Your opponent is saying that the whole scheme is unjust and we have to take his argument seriously. And again, she was kind of taken aback, like you're, you've basically taken away the foundations for her argument. And then they started pushing her on the New York City, the, the NYSERPA case, saying, don't we have to wait until that decision comes out? Because won't that provide some guidance here on what the level of scrutiny is for deciding these Second Amendment cases? And she was saying, no, no, we're going to push back on that. And eventually they kept pushing her on it to the point where she got so exasperated. She said, you know what, fine. If you guys believe that this is relevant, we can wait for that case as long as we can submit supplemental briefs pushing back on that. So it seems like that's where the court wants to go with it. The state AG's office seems tacitly okay with it. So I think that's a situation where once the court rules, the Supreme Court rules on the, the intermediate scrutiny issue, then we get to come back to this case and get it decided and maybe push back on it. So that's, that's sort of where those things are going. So I, I think, you know, to kind of wrap that up, it's obviously a very uh, crappy time um, for Second Amendment civil rights from a legislative standpoint. We're being attacked from all over the place. Um, regarding red flag law and all these other, you know, secure storage issues, all these things. But the good news is those all rely on intermediate scrutiny. So from a courts, from a, a standpoint of uh, remedy through the courts, it's never been a better time. Uh, we have a majority in the Supreme Court, uh, you know, two justices of which have clearly shown that they're strict constructionists. There are others uh, on the court too who, who are who are pretty big Second Amendment supporters. The only potential sort of swing vote vote you might have is Justice Roberts, who may temper things a little bit, because I think he wants to preserve this, this view of impartiality on the Supreme Court. But, you know, overall, there's a lot that can be done in the wake of this NYSERPA case. If a stricter standard is installed for, for Second Amendment cases, we can take that and run it all through the state court system and the federal court system and start rolling all this back. So from that standpoint, it, it's a good time. And, you know, in the interim, as we wait for those decisions to come out, non-enforcement and non-compliance, you know, do that and, and do it intelligently. All right. Great. So guys, again, you can check out Steve and 2AWNY, 2AWNY.com. Steve, thanks so much for coming on. We're going to link out to this in the description of the episode and in our mailing list as well. So people can find you and, and learn more about what you're about, but thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks again, guys. All right. Appreciate thanks it. a lot, Steve. Hey everyone. It's Evan from Empire State Conservative Network. Please check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Also, check us out on Facebook at Empire State Conservatives, on YouTube at Empire State Conservative Network, on Instagram at GetRedPilledNY, and on Twitter at Empire State Cons. Also, check out our store at EmpireStateConservativeNetwork.com slash store for all current and future merchandise to help melt the snowflakes in your life. And as always, don't let fear take your freedom.